1: From the Mobile. Pod World Headquarters, this is the
3: Carolina Insider. Brought to you by AT&T, a proud supporter
1: of Carolina Athletics.
3: We're back. Time for another edition of the Carolina Insider. Jones and Adam here with you. Adam, are you ready for a fun fact? Yes. I actually question the validity of the number I'm about to give you. According to the, the esteemed website tipsywriter.com, <laughs> so which ba- links directly to adamlucas.com. Basically, going right to the source, Adam. Right. 90% of U.S. companies have a casual Friday <laughs> dress code. That seems really
2: high to me. That does seem high. Goldman Sachs just changed their dress code.
3: Following up, uh, most importantly, though, here's the follow-up to this factual Friday nugget. Friday fact nugget. FFN. Trademark. 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 Clothing is not optional. (laughs) (laughs) But it is less formal than on other days. Better not
2: to leave it optional. Yeah. Yeah. The Titanic did not depart on a Friday, by the way.
3: I looked it up. We never have to look up what day it is, because this young lady will tell us. We're so glad you're here (laughs) Uh, on the Carolina Insider. we got a great show coming up. We are going to look back over the thrilling victory against Boston College for the Tar Heels. Look ahead to the matchup with Duke. We have an interview with former Tar Heel football player Billy D. Greenwood. Billy is... Basically a million times cooler than Adam and I can ever be if we ever put our coolness together and even fibbed a little bit on the chart. Uh, Billy D. Greenwood, a little soft-spoken, but an awesome dude. Um, I have Adam. I caught fire like I've never caught fire before on a hmm. playlist that I'll be bringing up in a little bit. I have a How Can You Justify That? And so much more. You probably have a list. Probably. I don't even know what's on that list, Adam. But I know this. The Tarils won by 13 on Tuesday night in snowy Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. And the game wasn't even that close. It was the first five or six minutes. BC hit a couple threes, high scoring from both sides. Then the Tar Heels really took control. Had a 12-0 run. I think it stretched out to even bigger than that. Something like I don't even remember 18 to two or 20 to two or something. And led by 23 at halftime. BC made one push to cut it down to 14 or 15. Carolina stretched it back out to over 20. Eagles scored 10 points in the last 90 seconds to cut it against Carolina's thin to Carolina's bench, to cut it from 23 to 13 to make the final score look a little closer. But, Adam, it was a pretty dominating first 20 minutes. I thought the Tar Heels looked a little sloppy in the second half with that big lead. But I was really impressed with how they played in the first half because it wasn't as though they had this big lead because they were just torching the nets. They honestly didn't shoot it that great. Um, but they were getting a ton of rebounds, a ton of second chance points, dominating in the paint, running at the pace they want to, and playing. I thought really good defense for the most part. Again, in that first 20 minutes, and I just thought it was. Now BC is not a great team. I think they're maybe a little better than their record shows. Um, but I thought it was a really impressive first 20 minutes from Carolina to to get the win.
2: You could easily lose that game if, if you're, you're not paying attention. Yes because Carolina had won at Clemson, which did feel feel like a pretty big win. And you're, of course, already thinking about the next game. And even though, you know, the Tar Heels would say all the right things and say, oh, one game at a time, you know they're getting asked about it on campus. You and I are getting asked about it just in daily lives. And we so far don't play for the Tar Heels. So you know it was being talked about. Boston College is good enough to, to beat Carolina on that kind of day. But Carolina just tore them apart and left them quivering on the chilly sidewalk. I mean, that was a beatdown. Wow. And then the second half, the Tar just didn't, they just weren't as into it. The game was over. Everyone in that gym knew Carolina is going to win this game. And 13 points, That that was not a 13-point game even though really it was 16, until Boston College decided they were going to steal the ball as Carolina's trying to run the clock out. From behind. Give me a break. How can you justify that? Um, I thought the pace at which Carolina played was really impressive. Mm-hmm. After makes, after misses, after steal, And it wasn't like Boston College was turning the ball over a ton. So it wasn't like the Taros were getting these steals and just running down the court and shooting layups. They were getting the rebound and or after a made eagle shot and just beating them down the court every single time. It was was really impressive.
3: It was one of those games where, Adam, there were multiple times where I was so nervous that Carolina was going to have – something negative happened. And I don't mean that – I mean, like, they had all these runouts and you'd see, like, the B.C. guy was running from behind trying to catch up to Cameron Johnson or something. And you're like, oh, 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 please, just nobody foul. Don't – anything bad happen here. And I mean, Little and Brooks got tangled up that one time and it looked like for a second that Nasir Little was hurt. I think it was more just kind of shocked him when it happened as they fell to the ground together. Um, But fortunately, nothing negative in that way happened. But it was one of those games where Carolina was running so much – and the score was so lopsided at that point you were just like nobody no nothing bad happened here. We're
2: totally at that point of the year where the value of the two points is less than your concern about what's to come in the future. And and that's when you know you're getting to the the fun part of the basketball season. Um I don't
3: I don't really Adam have a ton more I think to like analyze from this game. Luke May was great, had 20 rebounds. Um, the most for a Tar since uh, 2016 when Bryce Johnson had 21 in a game. Cameron Johnson again shot the ball well. Uh, he had a double-double, had more than 12 rebounds in the game. Good to see Nasir Little in double figures. Kenny Williams kind of started shooting the ball in a little bit after what had been a long stretch. He had missed 15 consecutive threes at one point from the previous, I think it was four games, plus his first attempt in this game. Kobe White, uh, while not as dominating scoring, didn't need to be as he had been the first uh, or these last couple of games. He was in double figures. And I thought Kobe White played pretty good defense on Kai Bowman. Bowman hit some shots early. um, And I thought in my mind, Kenny Williams was going to be guarding Kai Bowman going into the game. But Jordan Chapman's another very good shooter for BC. Kenny Williams was guarding him and Chapman really struggled to shoot the ball. Kenny did a nice job against him. And I thought Kobe White did really well against Kai Bowman. So Again, I don't know if there's anything necessarily hugely important out of all that other than some Tar individuals I thought really had some nice moments in the game.
2: I think sometimes we underrate Kobe White's defense because we forget how big he is. He He's a different kind of Carolina point guard, and in the past you probably would have had to put Kenny Williams on uh, Kai Bowman, but this year you don't have to. And, yeah, Bowman scored some, but he has to. He, he's going to. He yeah. is their team. And so – a good defensive effort against Kai Bowman is different than a good defensive effort against someone else. And he got hot early, but then after that, you didn't hear all that much from him, relatively speaking. So I, I thought it was a it was a fine job. It wasn't a tremendous defensive performance, but it was fine.
3: You mentioned the uh, the atmosphere in the building. There were a ton of Tariel fans there. Boston College was on spring break, so there were maybe a handful of students in the student section. And it just uh, it just kind of had a a blase feel to it, and it, again, as you said, the way the Tariels played kind of took any doubt out of the building after the first couple of minutes. But a great showing by Carolina fans. We've seen that now, Adam, three or four times this year. I mean, Georgia Tech was that way, Pitt was that way, uh, uh, BC was that way. So just just a lot of games where there were a lot of Tariels there to to cheer on Carolina.
2: And and a lot of Tar Heels who had to come a long way. That that wasn't just people who live in Chestnut Hill. That was all your Northeast Tar Heels who Carolina didn't play at Syracuse this year, didn't play in New York this year. So that was their one chance to see the team. And it didn't matter if there was a foot of snow on the ground. They were coming to the game.
3: Anything else from BC? From the game itself?
2: Uh, I don't know. Not from the game itself.
3: Um. So we're getting down to the nitty-gritty on... All ACC, Adam. We've talked yeah. about that here multiple times here over the last few weeks. I have received my ballot. <laughs> so it is in. It is secured. Don't you worry. It's in the lockbox. In the lockbox. Um, I did find out they have extended the voting. You have a little extra time. <laughs> so now you have, let me look. You have until Sunday now that you can, uh, that you have uh, the voting time period is available. So it moved, it has moved back a little bit. Uh, and I think, Adam, the more I think about it, the more I think that there's, there's just no way that the first team is going to come from – and we talked about this some, but, I mean, it's just not going to come from outside Kobe White, Luke May, Cameron Johnson for Carolina, Hunter, Guy, and Jerome for Virginia, and Barrett and Williamson for Duke. I, I yes. think – some I think those eight players are going to be on the first and likely the second team. Yes. And then after that, you'll go somewhere else. And that's not to say there aren't great players out there on other teams. I think certainly Kai Bowman is an all-ACC player. Um, Kerry Blackshear from Virginia Tech's had a great year. Marquise Reed from Clemson's had a very good year. Uh, Wara from Louisville. Mooney from Notre Dame. I mean, there, there's all these guys who have had very good seasons, but I just think that group of eight players are going to be the ones who make up the first team and likely three of the five spots on the second team.
2: I have two questions for you about All-ACC. Okay. Will Pierce either emailed or tweeted us and wanted to know about the format of the voting.
3: Do you list it
2: by team, or do you just write down your 15 guys?
3: So they, you have to... What they do is you, you have to put 15 guys on there, but you're understanding that your first five guys are your first team votes. Your second five guys are your second team votes. Your third five guys are your third team votes. And so they weigh it somehow by points. And I don't know if this is the point total, but, like, you get three points for a first team vote, two points for a second, and one point for a – and, I don't, again, I don't know if that's the actual way that it happens. Um, but, but that is the way that they do it. So you do vote. And then you see now you also vote for coach of the year, which, by the way, I think Roy, I, I think I'm going to vote for Roy Williams. Yes. And I don't just say that because, I mean, I have voted for other coaches before. Um, I think he's done the best job in the conference this year. He has a team that is, at very worst, at worst, going to be one game behind the league winner and a top three seed and is competing with two other teams at the time. I mean, you forget, Carolina, Duke, and Virginia are three of the four best teams in the country right now, according to the rankings. And I think anybody who has watched basketball would agree they're all three of the eight best teams in the country right now. So they're going to be one of the top three seeds. Again, at worst, they're going to finish one game out of first place. I, I just, they under, they go undefeated on the road. I just, I think Roy Williams has done the best job of anybody in the conference. And you could vote for Buzz Williams, and that would be a valid vote. Um, I think you could vote for probably Tony Bennett, maybe. I mean, there are people you could vote for and defend the vote. I just think Roy Williams has done the best job in the conference this season.
2: If anybody other than Tony Bennett or Roy Williams gets a vote, there should be a congressional investigation. Because to vote for anyone other than those two, you'd have to say they did a better job than those two. There's no way you can say that. That doesn't even make sense.
3: By the way, the voting deadline is 2 pm. on Sunday, huh. and then the awards are coming out 2 p.m. on Monday. A um, couple of things. So you got you have Coach of the Year, you got to do Player of the Year, Freshman of the Year, most improved, defensive Player of the year, and your defensive team. So you got to pick like five guys for the All ACC defense. So it's a lot of it's a lot of voting. Um, now, honestly, I find it easier to do this than the football one because at some point in football, especially and I've talked about this before, but at some point in the like the O line, you know, I don't know who's the, I don't have a definitive answer on who's the second best guard in the league and who's the seventh best guard in the league. So, you got to kind of, I mean, some of those are educated guesses. And for me, and you rely heavily on the information the teams give you. And of course, they're just going to give you the best stuff, which they should. But so that, that to me, and there's so many teams and so many players, and that's a problem for both sports. But um, I do find basketball easier to do because you see all the guys and you see them in person at least once, you see them on TV more often. At least I do because, again, you get an opportunity to see the teams play, whereas in football everybody plays on the same day. I do try to watch some film of the team you're playing that week. But, again, if you don't play Boston College in a season, how do I know if their tight end is better than Duke's tight end or whatever? Um, So I, I do find basketball, the voting for basketball to be a little bit easier. The defensive team is tough because, for example, I think Kenny Williams is a pretty good defender. But is somebody who doesn't see Carolina all the time going to see that? Probably not. So you go, you automatically lean on, okay, well, who's leading the league in blocks? Who's leading the league in steals? Because that's the, that's the tangible information that you can get. Whereas Kenny Williams is not in the top ten in the league in either one of those categories, but is a very good defender. Garrison Brooks the same way. I mean, Garrison Brooks is a good defender. He has won Carolina's defensive player of the game more than anybody else on the team but he doesn't have big block or steal numbers, so I don't know if he's going to make it.
2: Here's my other question about all ACC. If Zion Williamson does not play on Saturday night, which I'm sure we will discuss, is he still the anointed ACC player of the year, or could it be
3: Cam Johnson? Or R.J. Barrett, I think. Or Cam Johnson. I think there are going to be some people who, do not vote for Zion Williamson for player of the year because of what you said. And I think I am strongly considering being one of those people, not because he's not the most talented player in the league and not because he's not maybe the best player in the league. He he might be. Everybody says he is. Again, I haven't seen him in person just because of the way things happen. Well, you saw him for like 13 seconds. Right. But I think if you miss a third right. of the conference games – I think it's hard to say you're the you're the best player in the conference. And that's or to reward him as that. Like Kyrie Irving. I'm gonna guess back in two thousand eleven, now Kyrie Irving missed a lot more games than Zion Williamson has. I'm gonna guess Kyrie Irving was probably the most talented player in the league that year. Although Harrison Barnes had a great year. Tyler Zeller was here and, and was I, you get my point. But nobody voted for him because he hadn't played enough. Now again, the the number of games are different. But I do think it will impact some votes. I think it was slam dunk that he would have been ACC Player of the Year. I think now it will be a little more difficult for him. I still anticipate him winning it because I think enough people are going to vote for him. But I don't think it will be as clear cut as maybe it was a month ago. And I don't know – I have not decided who I'm going to vote for there yet. If he doesn't play on Saturday, it will be hard for me to vote for him. If he does – if and if Barrett plays great again, I could see – I could vote for him. I could vote for Cam Johnson. I think either one of those guys have a legitimate – it's a defensible vote for either one of those guys.
2: If he doesn't play on Saturday and Carolina wins, I just – I I would find it difficult to vote for someone who didn't play in a third of the league games and whose team finished two games behind the other guy I'm considering. Right. And kind of same thing with R.J. Barrett. He's a great player in, in this scenario we're talking about, but your team finished in third place.
3: Yeah, and now there is – I mean, and again, I'm just showing the other side of this. Remember, Eric Green was – didn't he win it from Virginia Tech when the Hokies came in last place in the league a couple years ago? I thought that was dumb, too. <laughs> so, I mean, there is pre- – and, and if he didn't, he almost did. So, I there I don't know. It's just up to individual voters, I think, what they, what they consider that award to be. Is it the best player on the best team? Because if Virginia wins it, then I'm sure there are Cavaliers people going, wait a second, Kyle Guy or DeAndre Hunter should win this. I think Zion Williamson is going to win it. I don't know who I'm going to vote for yet. I I have considered in my mind, Adam, Williamson, Barrett, and Cam Johnson are the three. Cameron Johnson are the three that I have thought about in my mind. And I know some people are going, well, just vote for Cameron. You are the Tar And I do, I try not to be blatantly biased when making these choices. Although, like for football, for example, I may... I'm trying to think of somebody I did this with this year. I can't even remember. Maybe I put – I'm just going to make somebody up. I might be wrong. Maybe I put Anthony Ratliff-Williams on the second team instead of the third team or something. And, again, I don't even know if I did that. But I do try to think, okay, well, yeah, I've seen him play more – M.J. Stewart was a great example. M.J. Stewart was terrific for the Tar last year. I think I had him first team or second team at the DB position – and I don't, I'm don't. i guessing a lot of other people didn't because Carolina had a down year, didn't have huge numbers, but I knew how good M.J. Stewart was. So I, I do take that into consideration sometimes too. Could be one of those
2: years where a lot of people vote for different players because sometimes the player of the year is one overwhelming choice. Yeah. This year somebody could sneak up and get it because the votes end up getting split. We'll find out on Monday at 2 p.m.
3: That's right. Adam, anything else you would like to do before we get to our interview, which has now become interviews because we actually have a pair of interviews. Not only are you going to hear from Billy Greenwood, but uh, we also have a short stop by with uh, Brian Bursticker, former Tar Heel basketball player, member uh, or working in the Rams Club now. We're going to talk to Stick a little bit about uh, the Our Blue is Best Challenge. It is this thing that Carolina and Duke do, the Rams Club of Carolina, the Iron Dukes uh, over at Duke a little competition between the two that you can help the Tar Heels win. And you'll hear more about that in a second. But uh, anything else to do before we get to those two interviews? Let's do it. All right. We're going to go Billy D Greenwood first, then into Brian Bursticker sticker after that. And then Adam and I will be back after you hear from these two gentlemen here on the Carolina Insider.
2: We have got a good guest today. I know we have said that before, but this time we're telling the
3: truth. <laughs> this time we mean it.
2: Uh, this gentleman has done a little bit of everything, uh, and that's why we wanted to have him today because he has led a very interesting life. You know Billy D. Greenwood as a defensive back for the Tariels beginning in 1998 through 2001, uh, so on a couple bowl teams in there, played uh, with a lot of really good players, was such a good player for the Tariels, but then since then, as you will soon hear, he has led just a, an incredibly interesting life. So Billy D., thank you for stopping by and spending a little bit of time with us today.
1: Pleasure being here. Thank you, guys.
3: Um, first of all, Billy, let's. I want to talk. Let's start with just football first. We were talking before we got started here. Just feels like an exciting time for Carolina football. As a former player yourself, kind of, what's your opinion on what's been going on with Coach Brown coming back, and and just the energy around the program right now?
1: First and foremost, thank you for letting me be here today. And I'll tell you now, the buzz is palpable. That's definitely one thing that I think is exciting about being back, having Mac Brown back, seeing some of the coaches and players last night is very exciting time and I'm glad to be at Tar Heel and I'm glad to be here today.
2: We've talked here on the podcast when we've had Coach Brown on and said, we think he must have been unbelievable in living rooms as a recruiter. He was actually in your living room <laughs> because he recruited you. What is that like when he's sitting there? How, how does he do it?
1: I tell you now, he has an amazing presence. Mac Brown and Tim Brewster were both in my living room. They sat down with myself, my mother and father at the time, and, you know, we're very – forthright and upcoming about what they had planned for myself and our future and I think that he was able to fulfill everything that he, he said he was gonna do so many years back and I'm just very excited now to to be back again part of the Carolina family.
3: Now you're from in my Connecticut, is that right? Correct, Norwalk, Norwalk Connecticut. Connecticut. So how does a kid from Norwalk, Connecticut end up at, at Carolina?
1: Primarily Mac Brown coming in my living room recruiting me, you know, talking about the academics here at Carolina and about the future of the program and just instilling uh, discipline and some of the things that are important you know, when you're thinking about your college future.
2: What did he do that was different? Because you were being recruited by a lot of schools. What, what made him stand out to you and your family?
1: I think his honesty. You know, a lot of um, people would tell you that uh, recruiting is a situation where you have a lot of opportunities. And I think uh, Mac Brown's honesty and you know, his willingness to look at what you're going to be as a person and as an athlete first and foremost And and those are the things that were important to me at the time.
3: Yeah, I'd be interested in, Billy D. just how it hit you. Because a a part of the story with Mac Brown is, of course, that he left Carolina. uh, And that happened to you. You, He was never your head coach, correct? I mean, because your first year was Carl Torbush, correct?
1: Well, my first year I was with. Mac Brown, okay, and then shortly after that he he left. But gotcha. I had um, no ill will at all. I was very excited for Mac and his family to take that next step to go to Texas, and now that he's back is just very exciting. But again, I was here for, with him for a short time, and it was, it was a very exciting time.
2: A lot of people either don't understand or don't remember that transition from Mac Brown to Carl Torbush, and they say, "Oh, you had Mac Brown, and then you hired Carl Torbush, and he's not as good a head coach as Mac Brown." Well, we know that now, but in 1997. What was it about Carl Torbush that appealed to? Because it was was a lot of players who who really supported him. Why why was that?
1: Well, we definitely supported Carl Torbush. And one of the facts were, you know, he was here on the staff and somebody that we knew and we trusted. And obviously the record didn't always indicate, but, you know, we all worked hard for Carl Torbush and he was a great coach to play for. Billy
3: D., um, Tell us what you're doing now. Um, tell us kind of what has been going on in your life. This is such an interesting story to me. Just tell us what's been, what's been going on with you over the last several years.
1: Well, I currently work as a major case investigator for a private insurance company, IAT Insurance Group, and I have an ability to work as a major case investigator um, detecting, deterring, and prosecuting um, fraud. Is essentially what I'm doing now, and it's a very exciting thing that I'm doing. So he's coming for you, Adam. Is what yeah, I don't like the way he looked yeah. at me when he said that. Billy, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, I'll take this interview. That'll get me a little closer <laughs> to my subject." <laughs> it's very exciting times. And, and prior to that, I spent uh, two years overseas in Afghanistan, um, attached to a security transition team, working alongside some of the finest military personnel out there. And that was a wonderful experience. Had an opportunity to do that. Prior to that, primarily law enforcement. Um, with the Raleigh Police Department and got to do some really cool things there. And uh, also, when I was overseas, I was able to get uh, my master's degree in intelligence studies with a concentration in terrorism. And then when I got back from overseas, I was uh, fortunate enough to come back to Carolina, get on campus and, and take a course in Arabic studies.
3: So just tell us a little bit about your Af- uh, the, the experience in Afghanistan. I have to imagine that's just incredibly intense the entire time that you're there.
0: Uh,
1: intense is a good word to put. Um, to describe exactly what that was like. Um, you know, on the front lines is, is something that is uh, intense again, but something that's very rewarding. A feeling like I had an opportunity to to give back and try to do everything I could to help protect, you know, liberties and freedoms that we have here in the United States.
2: What made you want to do that? What made you want to do law enforcement, counterterrorism, all that kind of thing that you don't have to do, but you elected to do it?
1: I think it was the feeling that I wanted to. Be a part of something great, similar to being here at Carolina. You know, coming out of the tunnel, that feeling that you have, you know, wearing a uniform representing the University of North Carolina. And I always wanted to have something that was similar to that. So for me, law enforcement, spending time with military personnel was always something on that same level and having the ability to, you know, try to be a part of something great.
2: For those of us who have not been to Afghanistan and may not in the near future, what, what's something about life over there that you know because you were there that, that you think we ought to know?
1: I mean, I would just say that uh, there's definitely a, a feeling of um, unity being a part of a, of a team of elite soldiers um, that it's hard to quantify when you're here and being over there, you really trust in the men and women next to you that they're gonna have your back. and. Being a part of something great again is something that is is hard to quantify, but definitely something that you feel while you're over there. So you said you got your master's degree.
3: Like, this may be a really dumb question like when you're getting your master's degree with a, with a focus on ter- like what do you study how, how do you get that does that make sense like how do, how do you how do you become somebody who who gets a master's degree becomes an expert in that field
1: well it was something i've been passionate about for a long time and i did some research and was able to to get my degree from american military university and i always had an affinity of of trying to do things great in my original thought process was you know going back overseas to Amman Jordan and then taking a full immersive course in Arabic and I know that there are certain areas in the country where you know, certain expertise is needed and I thought that was just a stepping stone to trying to do those things.
3: Billy D. Greenwood is out doing the stuff that most people don't want to do Adam this is something that I have learned already. You, we're glad Billy Dee Greenwood is on our team, not just the Tariel team, but the American team. I can already tell. Have you
2: always been this cool?
3: <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're like what, our cool level has dropped dramatically well, since Billy got here. But,
2: like, the cool level in the room went oh, up, yeah, like, yeah, 120% yeah. when he came <laughs> in. Like, is this something you grew into? Were, were you always this cool, or is that something that uh, you kind of honed?
1: I, I think I've honed it over the years. Yeah. <laughs> <but laughs> <laughs> It's uh, This is
3: something you and I will never know, Adam. I yeah, feel bad. some
2: of us can hone it, and some of us just don't have it,
3: <laughs> and that's that's us. Can you get – and I know some of this you probably can't talk about, but what what was something that happened – I want to go back to Afghanistan, like an experience that occurred or an incident that occurred. Is there anything that you can talk about that is just like you still look back on it and go, holy cow, that that was something in, insane that that happened?
1: Without getting into too many details, there, there are definitely several situations that I can rec- recall clearly that uh, were – um, intense to the point where, you know, you really were gripping. You weren't sure if you were to be able to make it back home. And again, the camaraderie that you have with the fellow soldiers is something that is important. But, uh, I would say, you know, without getting into too many sure. details, that's probably
3: what, what is like, what, and again, uh, fortunately I've never faced this moment. Like what goes on in your mind when you're in that moment? You're like, you know what? I mean, this might be it. Like, what does your training kick in at that point? I mean, what what is kind of going on with, with you when that occurs?
1: Absolutely, the training is something that kicks in. And you have to have a, a very focused mind at that time. And you have to remember what your training's involved and know that, you know, if the situation gets uh, too difficult, you got to find a way to persevere. And again, a lot of those traits kind of Um, cross over to some of the things that I've done over my time here at Carolina and and being a student athlete.
3: Yeah I was gonna ask you I mean obviously we're talking about the different things on the line here in these two scenarios but did how how much did your training as an athlete and as a football player did did that help you in those scenarios in some odd way?
1: Absolutely it did Um, just having the intestinal fortitude and and going through some of the challenges that you did as a young student athlete and being able to persevere and overcome that's one of the things that definitely translated, you know, throughout my law enforcement career and my time overseas as well.
2: And you were a police officer before you went overseas, is that correct? That is correct. How do, how do those two compare and contrast?
1: Well, I know one of the things that I was excited about is, you know, I used to be a part of a unit where, you know, we were um, tasked with, you know, handling street-level drug activity, and. Um, <laughs> He used calls to call us the jump out boys because we would jump out the back of a van <laughs> and you know I was a police officer and I had an ability to tackle and make arrests and you know when I was playing football that was my primary focus was tackling so it was just you know hand in hand kind of worked out well
2: I bet they thought they could get away that I, hey, he's just a police officer he can't tackle and then you like lay him out like, oh that was Billy Dean <laughs> I've heard about him
1: yeah I'd say I, I have not lost a foot chase uh, in my entire <laughs> career and, and fortunately speed helped a little bit
3: um there has been a very large and a very valid discussion about the relationship between police officers and the African-American community here recently. As both someone who is an African-American and who has been a police officer, what are your thoughts on that and how we can get better in that area?
1: It was talked about earlier, it's training. I think police officers can continue to get the training that they need you know, regardless of African-American or any other sure. race or creed. It's important that you, know, you have respect for other people. You do your job to the best of your ability, and you continue to hone your training and your skills so that when faced with a, a situation that may be difficult, you have the answers that are needed in order to get through the situation as best you can. From that very serious question
3: to another very serious question, how many times do you hear like Billy D. Williams jokes towards you? Because uh, those are the only two Billy D.s I know are Billy D. Williams and Billy D. Greenwood. Happens all the time.
1: <laughs> it's, it's constant. <laughs> it's constant.
3: Yeah, but, you're tired. Uh, you're like, "No, I'm not. I don't want to hear it anymore."
1: Well, my mom was a huge Billy D Williams fan. Is that right? Yep, that's exactly it. And I was named after Billy D Williams. Well, see, so. there
2: you go. But you've got like some of that same kind of coolness. So I feel like if I had named my kid <laughs> Billy D, he might have been really cool. Yeah. Like if it was Billy D Lucas, he'd be like <laughs> off Billy doing D Lucas. Cool I like things. that. Yeah. That'd help. Um Julius Peppers has been in the news some here lately. You were on the practice field and of course the game fields with Julius Peppers for several years. What did you see in practice every day that those of us who only saw him in the games thought was so impressive?
1: Julius is an amazing athlete, as we all know. But uh, his attention to details, I think, is something that people may not know. Julius, again, is one of the greatest athletes and greatest players uh, that I've been a part of, and we've all watched. And he's had a tremendous career. But, again, his attention to detail is something that people may not see on the forefront.
2: Did you ever see him do something on the practice field and go, oh, this guy, he's not normal?
1: Just about a, right. <laughs> He did something amazing on the practice field. And, uh, again, he was able to let that translate into having a, a wonderful 17-year career in the NFL. Could he
2: have played in the NBA?
1: Absolutely. He's just that type of an athlete, certainly. I think so, too, don't you? Yes. I mean, don't you think he could have if he had wanted to?
2: Yes. Uh, he, w- he was doing basketball as a hobby,
3: right. and
2: he still was key on a Final Four team. Yeah. If he had decided, I'm going to do this all the time, Remember how much Billy Packer loved him? Yeah. Like, Billy Packer hated everyone, (laughs) but he loved Julius Peppers.
3: Yeah, he should have. I'd be interested in your thoughts kind of on Dre Bly and Dre's potential as a coach. I know he's done some high school work, but the first time that he's taken the step here uh, to the college level, we had Dre on a couple months ago. I guess it was back in August when he joined us in – had a lot of fun, as you as you can imagine, uh, hanging out with Dre. But what are your thoughts on, on him and, and kind of him taking that step to coaching?
1: Well, first and foremost, Dre is a great person. And mm-hmm. I know his coaching ability will continue to grow. And I think he's going to be an excellent coach. He'll get to be able to relate to players first and foremost. And then he's also a technician as well. And so I think when you have the ability to harness the relationship with players and the technical aspect, and Dre was just a naturally gift, gifted athlete, and very instinctive, and I think he's going to be able to teach young players how to be instinctive just like he was.
2: Can he teach young players to, to talk the way he does and believe in himself the way he does?
1: I think so because Dre definitely has a lot of swag, <laughs> and, and that's why he was, again, a great player and will be a great coach. I think this story is
3: correct, so if I'm wrong, obviously just say I'm wrong. You had a child when you were, when you were here in school, correct? And your child, it was son or daughter? Daughter? Da- daughter. And she is now at Carolina, is that
1: correct? That is correct. And I, doing extraordinarily well, correct? She, she's doing very well. Ariana Greenwood is a junior here at Carolina. She made the dean's list last semester and she's here on a full academic scholarship.
3: What I have to imagine of all the things that you've done, that's got to be right at the top of the list that, that's making you proud.
1: Absolutely. That is number one on the top of the list. And when I had my daughter in college, I didn't know what the future will hold. And uh, I'm very excited that she's at Tar Heel.
3: What kind of challenges did that present you to just to have a child at a a young age when you were still trying to figure things out?
1: A lot of it was the unknown, not really sure what the future would hold, and and knowing that you want to be around your child and you want to guide them and and give them everything that they need and and the uncertainty of whether or not you would be able to fulfill those requirements as Mm -hmm. a father. And I think those were some of the things as a a young adult that I dealt with. But over the years, with the support of other family members, we were able to make things work. And again, right now I'm so proud of her. She's an amazing, amazing young woman.
2: How'd she do it? I mean, g- getting in is big. Getting in on a full scholarship, hardly no one does that.
1: She gets her brains from her mom. <laughs> uh, now she can tackle you. She can <laughs> jump
3: out the back of the van and take you down too, if she needs to.
1: She's she's very talented. She can do a lot of different things.
2: We had uh, we had KJ Smith on, and he was talking about how uh, now he kind of he goes and eats breakfast at some of the same places his dad did, and they could talk about that, and they're both kind of surprised that the other one did those things. Have y'all had that same experience where? She's eating breakfast at Franklin Street, same place you did?
1: Yeah, we have. We've had a couple of situations where we've been in the same place and, you know, we'll sit back and I'll be on Franklin Street together and just thinking, man, I was back here so many moons ago and, and now we're here together and it's an amazing thing.
3: Now, have you followed Carolina football closely? I mean, obviously you've been very busy. But ha- have you been following the Tar Heels as well? And uh, if so, just I'd be interested in kind of how, how Billy D. Greenwood's a, a fan of football after living it for so long.
1: Definitely I try to stay in contact. You know, as much as possible, get back to games. Of course, you know, root and cheer the guys on, and and I think that the team has has been good offensively. Of course, over the years, defensively hasn't been as successful as we want to be. And again, as we move forward, I think moving uh, towards the the Mac Brown era again uh, will be a lot of excitement. I think the team's going to do very well.
3: We've talked about this some with with some other former players who've joined us. Carolina basketball has this the very real kind of family aspect to it. I think that's been harder on the football side of things because of the different coaches that there have been through through the tenures. Can Matt Brown kind of get that family back together, in your opinion? And, and Bridge, not just guys like you who played for him and the guys who are going to play for him now, but, but the guys kind of in between as, as well.
1: There's no doubt about it. I think that's definitely something that's going to happen, and I think we'll see that sooner rather than later. Obviously, the recruiting class they were to bring in with the, you know, the short amount of time that this staff has had to recruit, is indicative of that. I think the spring game and, and going towards the season will also be an indication as to w- the way things are to move forward and the family atmosphere and bringing things together.
2: What's your favorite game? When you think back on the most fun you had playing football for Carolina, what do you think about?
1: I would likely say the forty-one to three domination over Florida State. Yeah, that's probably the biggest one. Um, that was something that uh, being at Tar Heel and, and playing in that game was was very exciting.
2: Well, and that came right after nine eleven.
1: That's right it was because Carolina had missed the game it was
3: they're supposed to play SMU right and didn't play because 9-11.
2: So for somebody who then ended up going into law enforcement and counterterrorism did did that have an impact on you was that part of your decision-making process?
1: It's it's hard to say back then if it was a direct correlation but I know again I've always been passionate about both you know football and then the law enforcement side so you know being able to gel to, to both together at some point and it was you know something that is, is something very exciting
3: what can you tell us about john bunning so he he was the coach of course that that last year coach bunning I, t- I mean everybody loved coach bunning didn't have as much success obviously as he wanted as the head coach after that first season but what do you remember about playing for coach bunning
1: i remember that bunning was very hard-nosed and we like the fact that he's a former carolina guy and an nfl player himself and so being hard-nosed but fair was something i would say um Translated throughout the Bunning time. And again, I loved coaching with uh, and working with and playing for John Bunning.
3: That season was so funky. You had that really tough start, lost the first three. All three of them were on the road, right? It was Texas and Maryland and Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma. That's right. First one was Oklahoma and then went 8-2 and two the rest of the way, won the Peach Bowl. i would be in what you remember about that season and how things came together for that group.
1: It was an exciting time, again, with the rocky start, but I think you know, a lot of intestinal fortitude. We had to look at each other and, and say that we were going to find a way to make a change, and we were able to do so, but we played some talented teams early on, and we were able to kind of find ourselves and work through that season and end up having a good year. Yeah.
2: Which of the rude boys talks the most trash? <laughs>
1: Oh, that's a real tough one. <laughs> that's a long list, Adam. Uh, you know what? Dre is definitely at the top of that list um, for guys who talk a lot of trash. But again, he was able to back it up. Um,
2: Did you ever hear him talking to someone on the field, an opponent, and go, oh, Dre just, uh, that guy's going to be worthless the rest of the game? Dre just <laughs> demolished him verbally.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, similar to the Afghanistan story. We're not going to go into too
3: many details here, but.
1: <laughs> that is correct. Dre f- was able to make his way with uh, his words and his play.
2: Dre totally believed he should have been playing wide receiver, too, didn't he?
1: He thought he had the best hands on the team, which, you know, given the fact that Dre had so many interceptions, I'd say his hands were really good, but he definitely couldn't have played wide receiver. I don't think his route running would have been where it needed to be.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what was it about that defensive group? that your first year I mean that was an incredible defensive team and Brian Simmons of course uh who who was there in that time period as well does the radio with us now and is just an awesome dude but what what made that defense so good other than the fact that you had just a bunch of dudes out there playing football
1: first and foremost the talent was off the charts (laughs) that's the first thing Um, but those guys had a lot of intensity and they were able to work well together and understand the system and the concept. And a lot of it was, again, top down. Everybody had a role to play, and you were able to play your role and fit within the scheme. And when you can do that, you can be successful.
2: That 2001 team was one of Ronald Curry's best years playing quarterback. And we've talked about Julius Peppers some, but Ronald Curry didn't have, as almost no one did, have the NFL success of Julius Peppers. But he was that kind of athlete who could do almost anything. For You had to go against him in practice. What was it like to to defend Ronald Curry?
1: It was tough. Ronald Curry, of course, being a dual threat quarterback, um, had an amazing arm and also was the type of guy who was a technician as well. He would be able to look off a a defender and then come back and and throw strikes. And so he had the, the combination of skill, running ability, passing ability, and he was just, you know, a very tough person to defend and a great player.
3: There are two rules to remember if you want to have a good time. Rule number one: never run out of Carolina Insider. Rule number two: never forget rule number one.
1: I don't claim you can have a better time. with...
3: Carolina Insider. And without it, but why take chances? Adam, we have an impromptu stop by. That's what happens when the mobile world headquarters is mobile. <laughs> you never know. It could be anywhere. Anyone could join us, and we're happy to be joined by Brian Bursticker, former Tario basketball player, of course, now a member, uh, now working in the Educational Foundation, the Rams Club here at Carolina. Stick is here to talk about a couple of different things. Brian, first of all, thank you for being here. Dude, thanks, you guys. Appreciate being here. First of all, you are our key, you are our liaison to the drover in Omaha. <laughs> How's everything going? Any updates on, on, on any refurbishment after the fire? No update as of yet. Um, I'm more than happy. I uh, Justin and I usually reach
4: out to each other right around the Duke games. He always sends me a text. Nice. <laughs> uh, with that one coming up this weekend, I, I, I can uh, probably touch base with him just make sure renovations and everything's going well for them and hopefully make a trip over there uh, this summer.
2: Drover liaison is an important yeah. role that every <laughs> podcast needs. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you got a drover liaison? Oh, you're not a real
3: podcast. <laughs> um, Stick the number one reason we wanted to talk to you today is about the Our Blue is Best challenge. Adam and I kind of mentioned it a, a week or so ago. What can you? What is it? How can people be involved? What's the time frame on this? No, absolutely. So
4: it's a uh, it's the third year we've done this. Uh, it's a friendly competition with our folks that live down the road, eight miles and. Uh, The Rams Club and the Iron Dukes, uh, we just like to have a nice little competition between the two. Um, It is something that uh, you can, you know, contribute in any way possible. So, dollar figure doesn't matter. You can refer folks to join. Uh, Again, membership starts at $100. You're talking $8 and some change a month, two cups of coffee. Yeah. you know, think about the people that you talk to at the water cooler about the game the night before. You know, ask them if they're members. That helps us because there's a membership p- component to it. There's also a dollar figure component to it. And,
3: again, any, any dollar figure uh, can help. And so the money that people give or a uh, refer to a new member goes into, like, points, right? And so Carolina and Duke each get a, m- a certain amount of points, and you're trying to beat the other one, right? And right. It's between yeah. the two Duke games, is that correct? Right. It
4: started uh, with our game over in Cameron. Uh, We will conclude at 6 o'clock on Saturday before tip-off with our game here in Chapel Hill. And how can people, if if somebody's interested in it, how can they
3: check it out, learn more about it?
4: Uh, Definitely can visit our website at uh, ramsclub.com or can just give us a
3: call on the phone. uh, That's 919-843-2000. Okay, so keep in mind, if you're interested in this... It's got to happen now because it closes now. You can always talk to the Rams Club, or always refer a member, or always um, join yourself. But if you want to be a part of this, our blue is best challenge. It ends uh, Saturday at six, tip off of the game. So uh, if you're interested in being a part of that, you got to do it now. Do it today. It can be five dollars, one dollar, a million dollars, whatever you want to give. Adam, Adam, what do you want to give? One, five, or a million?
2: I'm going with one. Okay. <laughs> um- I think doing it between the two Duke games is going to be tricky in a couple years when those games are three days apart. Yeah, when you play <laughs>
3: twice in the same
4: week, here yeah, well, I don't know, when we open up conference play uh, with the, the new ACC network, maybe yeah, we, we go
3: from November to, uh, to March. See, I'm telling you, I, and, and I know Duke isn't somehow. Not this year. Right, Duke doesn't have to play the first week, and everybody else does. But I'm, there will be a year, Adam, mark my word, that those two teams play the first game of the season.
2: It, and it'll be something where they play on Friday night and then the football teams play Saturday.
3: Mm. A whole weekend of Carolina-Duke, yeah. the greatest rivalry in sports, the That's Bell. Right. Um, stick while we have you here. Give us a little update on what's going on with you. What are you doing? How would you get a part of the Rams Club? How would all that happen? So uh, I'm a 2001
4: grad. Uh, I played in 2002 for Coach Doherty. Uh, after that, I tried my hand overseas for a little bit. Um, kind of uh discovered that basketball probably wasn't the path I wanted to take loved living overseas they weren't gonna let me stay there unless I was playing hoops obviously (laughs) uh came back was fortunate enough to uh get an internship uh for Clint Waltney in uh, our athletic ticket office that kind of transitioned to starting to do some work with the Rams club 2007 uh full-time with the Rams club 2012 um I now uh Kind of oversee our – my official title is director of member benefits or member services, excuse me. Um, And what that is is any tangible benefit from our membership. So whether it's tickets and parking, hospitality, events,
3: stewardship pieces, um, our crew kind of handles all that. What have you found when you talk to Rams Club members – what have you found to be some of the things that they're always interested in or things they're, they'd like to know more about or things they'd like to have as a member? What are some of the things that, that you talk to when you're talking to members, what, what you find out most when you hear from them?
4: So a lot, uh, and this has probably changed over the last few years, but a lot of it is access, experiences, uh, things that we can offer our members that aren't available to the general public, which is uh, just a, a huge incentive for, for joining, obviously. Um, but whether that's uh, you know on the field football game, or you know we do an experience program for basketball as well, where we you know in the tunnel when the team runs out, or get to see the teams you know everybody do the dance right before they come out of the tunnel, yeah. or, or even uh, simple things like par- being part of the Tar Heel Tour, um, which is coming up this spring, where we take uh, Coach Williams and Coach Brown and some other coaches on, on staff, uh, kind of on a tour across the state of North Carolina. Uh, and just having access to that and getting to hear kind of uh, whether it's locker room talk or kind of an
3: insider's feel to uh, to those programs. By the way, Adam, I have the Tariel Tour dates, the, the tentative dates and locations. There's only one that overlaps with Coach Brown and Coach Williams just because of the way their schedule was. It's in Charlotte. It's gonna be a big night. Are you supposed to be revealing this? Probably information? not. <laughs> <laughs> Sticks <But>.
2: frantically texting us. <laughs> yeah, Jones cunt. is cunt. on the loose.
3: <laughs> but anyway, so no so one of the two coaches will be at every stop that we that we make. That's gonna be the easiest Tariel tour I've ever had, Adam. Those two, I don't they don't even need me there. John Montgomery's driving to Robinson County right
2: now. (laughs) Yeah, he's taking the wrong turn (laughs) right It's in Charlotte. All right, let's go.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right, boys, let's get on 40 East. Here we go. Adam, you had a question.
2: Um, Stick, you were a part of two Final Four teams as a player, one of which was the 1998 team, which if you are a younger Tar Heel fan, go to YouTube right now and look up 1998 Carolina basketball highlights. We'll wait right here for you to come back. Okay, now everyone can now agree that's one of the most fun Carolina teams to ever watch play. What did you see on a daily basis with that team that the rest of us saw for those 35 or 38 games that season?
4: So 38 games, 34 and four. Uh, Freshman year, obviously a huge learning curve between high school basketball and and playing here for, uh, for coach Guthridge. And that was the, the year coach Smith retired uh, seven days before practice started and, Knowing the, the guys that were on that team, you know, we, it was the infamous six starters year where it was Shamond and Ed Cota and Adamola Okalaja and Vince and Antoine and Maktar. Uh, and they just if you re-
2: had been one of the starters, you would have been in great shape because B, burst sticker, you would have been first in yeah, order.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least for the first one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Until but we started the, the rotation. Start. Um, I don't know that my learning curve had, could have been steeper. You know, guarding the, nas- the eventual national player of the year that year in Antoine and, uh, you know. Brendan Haywood was in my class as well. So we had our work cut out for us. Um, incredible ride. You know. We were, like I said, we were 34-4. and four. Uh, We lost three conference games. We ended up playing those three teams in the ACC tournament that year and winning all three of those games to, to kind of get revenge. Uh, and then rolled into a very talented Utah team uh, where you know, I think it was Mike Doliak mm-hmm. and Andre Miller, you know, guys that, that had successful careers after college. Um, and just kind of couldn't put the ball in the basket to finish. But uh really special time, especially, I think, uh, you know, I was mostly recruited by Coach gut and Coach Smith. And for him to take the helm for that first year and be so successful, I think that was, it was, uh, it was a special journey for us for sure. I am,
3: Adam, 100% convinced that 98, 84, and 87 are the three best Tar Heel teams that did not win a championship. Sorry, Stick. I don't mean to, I'm not trying to like stick a knife in it. I think they're the three best Tar Heel teams that didn't win the championship.
2: Yes, I agree with that. And of now, our and era. Of our era, yeah. We I'm don't sure, know, 77 yeah, as well. Yeah,
3: or 72. I mean, there were right. some great teams, the the late 60s teams, but at least of our era, I think those three teams and 84, I mean, I don't remember 84, I was five years old, but um, just in learning about them, knowing who was on the team, knowing the season, the, those three, to me, are, are the best.
2: Well, I think those three are the three that people are still bitter about those opponents. Yep. Indiana, Syracuse, and Stick, has there been any time in the last 21 years that you've encountered anything to do with the state of Utah that it didn't tick you off?
4: Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think my in 2000 we played Maui Classic, and Utah State, I believe, was there. and The classic line of, oh, they've got five McDonald's All-Americans. We don't have McDonald's. Right. <laughs> um, which brought kind of gave me a little sense of humor back to the state of Utah, but yeah,
3: no, not, not, not much. <laughs> All right, one more time. The R blue is best. How can people, uh, if they're interested in being a part of it or just interested in learning more about the Rams Club, how can they do it?
4: Absolutely. So RamsClub.com uh, on the web, or please uh, give us a call, 919-843-2000. We're happy to talk you through any questions you may have, uh, any dollar amount, refer a member, uh, become a member if you're not. Again, just uh, starts at $100 a year if you want that full access. And, again, two cups, of coffee, uh, two, two, two cups of coffee a month.
3: Our interviews with Billy D. Greenwood and Brian Bursticker brought to you by our friends at AT&T. Proud supporter of Carolina Athletics. More for your thing. That's our thing at AT&T. For 225 years, University of North Carolina has worked to improve the lives of the people of the state of North Carolina. As the nation's first public university, Carolina educates and trains doctors, healthcare workers, teachers, entrepreneurs, inventors, scientists, and so much more who are practicing and working all across the Tar Heel State. Learn more what's happening at UNC. Visit unc.edu. A couple more things. If your seat's courtside or upper level, head to StubHub, grab 100% verified tickets. You know you'll get in. Official fan-to-fan ticket marketplace of Carolina Athletics. StubHub be there. Fire it up. For less than $2,000, you can have your summer tea package. Three nights accommodations at the Carolina Hotel. Four rounds of golf. The cradle of golf in North Carolina. Breakfast and dinner daily as well where could all of this be possible only one place that place is pinehurst and pinehurst is waiting for you all right adam do you have a list i do let us go what's on the top of adam's list brought to you by top of the hill where tarheels come to celebrate boy a lot
2: of things on the list this
3: list is going to be jam-packed
2: we met the Smilo family we
3: did on tuesday in chestnut hill we enjoyed getting to see them they were rolling
2: six deep yeah, they were. And they did make it through the snow and got to see the Tar Heels and got a couple autographs after the game, from what I understand. Nice. Uh, and we got to sign the
3: big foot. Yeah, they have a big uh, Tar Heel foot. I signed right on the big toe. Yeah. I said, I'm taking the big toe. <laughs> Gave it a little hashtag, see you later, big grits. That's a power move to yeah, take the big that's toe. That's right. Like, so I know you're probably waiting for, like, Roy Williams or <laughs> Antoine Jamison or Michael Jordan. So one of, uh, an all-time Tar Heel. Nah, I got this.
2: Speaking of Boston College, a couple other things from that game that weren't game-related. The halftime promotion hmm. was skee-ball. It went as badly as any halftime promotion we have seen this year or maybe ever just due to the fact that no one ever succeeded
3: yeah. at do
2: the skee-ball. Now,
3: I'm going to say – I think this was something that in theory they thought was gonna be really easy. Yeah. I I think it now, while you can make fun of the contestants of the ski ball, which is understandable. Right. Not a single so how they did it you had to roll a basketball and they a had a mini s- ball. Yeah. And they had this the problem I think was the ramp. Yes. I don't think the ramp was big enough. We needed more incline on the ramp. Yes. And so you rolled the ball up the ramp. They had all these trash bins set up. And you were trying to get the basketballs into the trash cans, and there were different point values for each trash can. Three contestants who each had like five rolls like two or three times, not a single one of them made one shot. But again, and you can certainly say you're bad at basketball, skee-ball, Boston College fans. I think the flaw was with the ramp.
2: I think the flaw was just with the entire thing. <laughs> just everything about it was wrong. If you go to play regular skee-ball at Chuck E. Cheese, just the sheer gravity once the ball hits the ramp ensures you're going to get some points. Yeah. Gravity at Boston College basketball skee-ball ensured that the ball hit the front of the trash cans.
3: Yeah. And they even tried to move the ramp a little closer, and that didn't happen.
2: That just meant the ball hit it with more force. Yeah. <laughs> But then I like the optimism of yelling to microphone guy yeah. because when they made zero attempts, he goes, Okay, well, now we're going to have sudden death, and whoever gets the most points in this one roll is going to be our winner. And I think we know what happened. Clunk, clunk. And then they gave him another extra roll, and the one guy missed the ramp altogether
3: <laughs> on the bonus roll. He did. The guy who missed the roll altogether and turned around and put his arms up with a number one on each finger. (laughs) Not like the actual number one on each finger (laughs) to let everybody know in the crowd that he had succeeded in his own mind.
2: So that didn't go well. The other thing from the Boston College game, I didn't see this until today. Did you see that a certain writer Hmm. tweeted about how bad his seat was Ah. at the game?
3: (laughs) Hey hey, those grits are big, Adam.
2: Is there anything more out of touch with life than complaining about your free second row seat are at midcourt Are you sure it, went, are you sure it wasn't
3: like tongue in cheek? I don't know. I haven't seen it.
2: No, I I think because he what he said was, this is almost as bad as the seat I get at Rupp. Yeah, don't do that. Okay. Stand up, big grits. You're not blocking it enough. Man. Okay, now I'm all fired up. Non-BC related, John Howes mentioned that he misses our yes Mm. in the Friday song.
3: Well, it's interesting, John. As our capabilities and technologies have improved, (laughs) we actually do the Friday song a little differently than we used to. Oh, gosh, this is like pulling the curtain back at him. So in the past, when we had the yes in there, we would actually be playing the Friday song real time. So as you heard it, we were hearing it. Yeah. And we were throwing in our yes. And
2: there's only one way to respond, with a
4: yeah.
3: Yeah. Now, however, we actually insert the Rebecca Black post-production. And so, I mean, I could yell like, Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) And then try to like place it in there.
2: Right. It wouldn't be as authentic.
3: I don't, yeah, it it just wouldn't have the same gusto.
2: But perhaps when we move into the luxurious
3: Padudio, we'll have, we'll find a, we'll find a balance. Which, by the way, Adam, did you enjoy the See You Later Big Grits montage that was just for you?
2: I have that on my list. That was a vacation from life.
3: So it really, and the amazing part is, it was m- a little over half of the See You Later Big Grits that we have.
2: There were some I had forgotten. It was like an old friend coming yeah. back and putting their arm around yeah. me.
3: Like the Dick Bedore one. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Dre Bly. Yeah. Yeah. There were some good ones in there. Hinder. Yeah. Hinder. I forgot that Hinder ever happened, but it did happen. <laughs> Lips of an Angel. See you later, Big Grits. <laughs> oh, wow. <well. laughs> my girl's in the next room sometimes i wish she was you i guess we never really, moved
2: on. It's really good that was awesome so that that truly was the definition of a vacation from life cuz i was driving down the road listening to it and it made me so happy
3: what it made me think of adam is how ridiculous it is that we've been able to do this this long and have all those people say that. It was awesome. Yeah. And I would like to say also, not one person has ever turned us down to do it so far. Sometimes we haven't asked just like, like we have an interview coming up next week where we didn't ask because we were up against the clock a little bit. But Not one person has said, no, that's dumb. I'm not doing that. So thank you, all of our previous guests.
2: Thank you for thinking it in your head, but not saying (laughs) it out loud.
3: That's right. Thank you for giving us the, like, look at these guys (laughs) after you left. Thank you.
2: Uh, T.R. Amrine told me something I didn't know. Mm. I had been kind of wondering about Kendall Marshall's Instagram and what all those quotes he puts in there are. Mm. They're all quotes from The Office. I have not seen The Office, so I did not know this. But so that's what it is. That helped me. Thank you, T R.
3: As you can tell from Adam, he never watches any T V. Doesn't he hadn't right. seen Parks and Rec, hadn't seen the office.
2: Right. I, I actually had to think for just a minute, is the office the one that has that baby horse that Jones is always talking about? And then I remembered that was a different
3: show. Uh, it's not a baby horse, he's a miniature horse. <laughs>
2: okay. I would like to send a wood up. As Aswood Jones to Andrew Edwards, a Big Pod listener. Uh, he broke his arm playing oh. lacrosse. That sounds terrible. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully he went ahead and scored a goal anyway and or stopped a goal, depending on which side <laughs> of the field he's on. Uh, we need Andrew to get better so he can watch the game uh, tomorrow with his dad, Rhett, both Big Tar Heels, Big Pod listeners. Chris Corsis, mm-hmm. probably not right. He mentioned that we somewhat made sport of the adult
3: onesie in a previous episode? Well, we did not. I, I simply. Well, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I would never wear an adult onesie.
2: Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, because Chris says he has a Tar Heel onesie, which he sent us the picture of. Yeah, he did. That he says help the Tar Heels win the 2017 <laughs> Final Four game against Oregon. If Carolina wins the national championship
3: this year. Mark, mark it, mark this. I will wear a onesie to do a subsequent pod. Hmm. That's nice. I like it. Hey. I will do that. It's on the line. Adam's going to wear a onesie. Chris, go ahead and uh, send us uh, that uh, (laughs) ordering information so we know where to have it at the ready if needed. Yep.
2: So I'm willing to do that for the Tar Big what up to Steve Robinson. Yeah. Former pod guest. He was elected to the Step Up Assistant Coaches Hall of Fame and he'll be inducted in May in Atlanta, he should be in that.
3: Yeah. Congratulations. That's
2: awesome. Ironic timing with everyone having just noticed Steve Robinson <laughs> for being having to step up and coach the Tar Heels at Clemson.
3: Earlier today, Steve Robinson stuck his head into our massive office room, which right now is just a bunch of people in one room because of the, the renovation to Pod World Headquarters. And uh, he needed some batteries. <laughs> and uh, Steve Kirshner, I think, goes, uh Get in the Hall of Fame, and all of a sudden you can't even get your own batteries. (laughs) I thought that was funny.
2: Um, Last thing on the list, can I get uncomfortably serious for just a second? Mm, Yes. Okay. So as sort of part of the Our Blue is Best Challenge, the Rams Club has given away two tickets to the Carolina Duke game. And part of the whole thing is they wanted to be someone who, of course, is a Rams Club member or at least has thought about joining the Rams Club but also going to the Carolina-Duke game is a bucket list kind of thing for them. And so reading, I've had the opportunity to read through a lot of those entries. I think sometimes we forget how important the Carolina-Duke game is to so many people who think about it their whole life, just wanting to go to one, just one. So if you are someone who is going to the game tomorrow night, let's just all remember how lucky we are to get to see that, And also just for the two of us, I think we know and appreciate how important it is to everybody and how lucky we are to get to do what we do and be so close to it. And it truly is just an unbelievable opportunity to be close to this thing that people and their families talk about their whole life getting to do one time and tomorrow we get to do it. And that's awesome. And we know that. So we we will be doing it with that in mind
3: nowhere else to go from there other adam then how can you justify that (laughs) i do not have to justify
0: how can you justify what you've done
3: how can you possibly justify that you know where i'm what i'm gonna say so nick popovich is a big man for bc he had a good game he's had a good year he averages 14 points per game I think it's round seven and a half rebounds a game, and had a good statistical game against Carolina, mostly coming from his big second half where he scored something like 18 points in the second half. He had 20, I think, for the game. But Adam, the play that stood out was my how can you justify that? So, one thing that was very evident watching this game up close is that BC, and particularly BC's big guys, were having trouble keeping up with the pace. I don't think that was the case for B.C.'s guards necessarily, but the big guys were having trouble getting up and down the floor. And as the game went on, that became more and more true. So, two, three minutes left in the game. It was late. Uh, I believe the Tar had either emptied the bench or had a heavy amount of substitutions on the floor. And B.C. somehow got a fast break. Mr. Popovich elected to not run down the floor with his team. In fact, he elected not to move after the turnover occurred. He stood at Carolina's free throw line as the action occurred on the other side of the floor. The result of this play for BC's offense was a missed layup. I think Carolina got back, kind of challenged it at the last second, and the layup was missed. Mr. Popovich did not care for the fact that his teammate, I believe it was Chris Heron, had missed this layup. So Adam, what's rule number one of being a teammate? Never, ever go palms up on a teammate. Never go palms up on a teammate. Nick Popovich not only went palms up on a teammate, Adam, he did so from the opposite free throw line after not having the desire to run down the court. Palms up after you were too tired or loafed too much that you didn't even cross the mid-court stripe. Adam, how can you justify that?
2: Can I tell you the truth? Yes. Every time on Tuesday that you said Nick Popovich's name and every time right now that you said Nick Popovich's
3: name. Do You think about Greg Popovich?
2: No. I am compelled by my life experience that into my mind immediately pops a picture of Popinski from Mike Tyson's (laughs) Punch-Out. Every single time. It's been that way since he got to BC. I don't know why. (laughs) You may not know what the heck I'm talking about, potentially, Jones does, but you, the listener, may not know there was he was a pretty tough boxer.
3: Yeah. On Mike Tyson's punch out, so did Popinski. Upper mid level. You, had, you yeah. hadn't quite gotten to like Super Macho Man yet. Right. And Sandman. Right. But but he was good. You had to be able to dodge his his big hooks, and but
2: then he would leave his chin exposed, yeah. boom, hit him with the star punch, he's down. But until you figured that out, he was tough. And every time you say Nick Popovich, boop, right into my head, so did
3: Popinski. And remember, he was If you've never played Mike Tyson's Punch-Out,
2: I apologize.
3: It's an awesome game. But it was pretty heavy on stereotypes. Oh,
4: yes.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And so he was Russian, Soda Popinski. And the original version, because Soda Popinski loved to drink soda. Like, he couldn't stop. But the original version, it was vodka. Yes. Because he was supposed to be Russian. And there's, again, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out did not mind going straight for the... (laughs) For the, uh, for the, hey, it was like 1987. Appropriate or not appropriate, they're going straight for the stereotype. Right. But so when Nintendo, maybe even S any, was this no, a super, it, it was, was a regular, regular Nintendo. Nintendo. Um, they, had to, they had to chill it off a little bit, chill it down for the youngins, and so he became Soda Popinski. What a game. Did you ever beat it? Yes. I never beat it. But I, I only beat it
2: because, remember, they would put out the magazines that would tell you how to do it?
3: Yeah. You only- talking about
2: Nintendo power? I think so. Yeah. Were you a subscriber? Probably. <laughs> and that's the only way I ever beat Mike Tyson. I could beat everybody else. Remember how? What a stud you felt like when you stood in there against oh, Bald yeah. Bull? Oh yeah. Bald Bull would come bouncing at you. You just stand your ground.
3: Had to fight him stay twice. Stand your ground. Boom! Right in the belly. Had to fight Bald Bull twice.
2: Yeah. The second time he was tougher.
3: Had to fight a uh, Piston Honda. Another stereotype that Nintendo would probably stay away from now. Had to fight him twice. Yeah. Ah, what a game. That was a good game. I remember that was probably the first time that my parents were like, "Mm, maybe Jones gets a little too angry playing these videos (laughs) Like when I would lose. God made me so mad. I
2: remember I got my Nintendo taken away because I was so angry about losing in Double Dribble. Double Dribble. Double Dribble. Like forcefully, potentially breaking things with my tiny twig arms. All you had to do was go to the corner.
3: Fire the three as you're running out of bounds. You made it every single time.
2: But I like to turn the sliders all the way up, and I like to have a close game. You like to do in the fourth quarter, I could win.
3: You like to do the B Rob version where you're playing 2K on Hall of Fame. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, get better at that. But I was
2: shooting with the buttons, not with the stick.
3: Why did they say it like that at the beginning? I
2: don't know.
3: Who was it? The Los Angeles Breakers, and their mascot was a was a surfboard. A surfboard, yeah. And the Boston Frogs. Chicago somehow was still the Bulls. Yeah, it was. And then there, New York, something. They were the other team. It was, the, and, but those were the only four, right? That's the only four you need. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Um, couple more things on Twitter that I wanted to mention. Doug, well, what up to Doug? Cookout sent out something happy bir- uh, birthday to Oreo, and mentioned the Oreo shake. And Doug said most importantly the pod, of course the Oreo a key component of the pod milkshake. Thank you, Doug. Um, Alan Nidle <laughs> said, uh, Cam Johnson makes it a good day to be a Tar Heel. So much fun watching Carolina basketball for the first time live in more than 10 years. Um, said he got to see Adam and myself uh, hard at work. Hard at work. <laughs> um, but he had this, he had a footage of Cam making a basket against BC. And let me tell you something, Alan. What a camera you have. Did you see how clear this footage yeah, was? It was good work. It, I think it might have been 4K. It was as if I was there right here on Alan's footage. Yeah. It's terrific. Adam, I have two things on a Jones list today. Okay. Number one, I've already teased, but I'll get to that in a second. Adam, i we were talking about pulling back the curtains earlier. I saw something that I have never seen before the other day. So I was uh, at a sandwich establishment ordering mm-hmm. a sandwich. Let's call it a tub play. (laughs) So I was at tub play, and I was ordering a sandwich. And so I placed my initial order Mm -hmm. for the bread and the meat and the cheese, and these two women come in. And I'm the only one in line at the moment. The women don't come in line. They kind of stand by what I'll call the employee entrance to get back behind the Mm The desk Not the like Go in the back of the store And whip around But like probably You know the little Right The little flappy door <laughs> <laughs> That you can walk back Behind the desk So they just kind of Stand there So the young lady Who was Helping me out Kind of looks over To him for a second Thinking that maybe There's their talking But then it becomes Very obvious These women are just Like standing there And she says May I help you And this one lady <laughs> She does She just goes Yes and then holds up this badge. What? Yeah, she just holds up this badge, and it's very clear that my lady—I believe her name is Crystal. Like this badge didn't mean anything to Crystal. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like she was flashing like an FBI badge. She just like shows this badge. Was it Sherry Barry, the elevator inspector? <laughs> <laughs> Not to my knowledge. So she shows this badge, and Crystal's like. Like, I mean, she you knows she was like, "All right, there's a badge," <laughs> and so there's this, there's this three second like stare down of Lady Badge and Crystal going, "I see you have a badge, and it means nothing to me." And she goes, "I don't, I don't know her name. Let's just say it's Janice." <laughs> Janice goes, "Janice from the health inspector office." Whoa, <laughs> Adam. I was there. Like, she shows up to give them the grade, you know, the like wow. 97A or whatever. Yeah. She's there to do the surprise inspection of this tub play restaurant. And so I can't tell you, Adam. You know the level of angst that's going to be in the Smith Center on Saturday or that was the the story time we had where they were balled up watching the Carolina Duke game? Immediately, the tub play was filled with this angst from Crystal. She was not anticipating this. It was the middle of the afternoon. But all of a sudden, the health inspector's there. So Janice, who I think was training the other woman who was with her. Future Janice. Dude, it it was, boom, all of a sudden the hairnets go on. (laughs) Boom, they put on the gloves. They're like, we're coming back. So they just go, they start like, they've got like a thermometer. They're like, putting it in the cheese. I mean, it's, I've never seen anything like it. And meanwhile, poor Crystal is trying to get my sandwich fixed. But you can tell she's been totally thrown off her game. She's rattled. Yeah. And they start asking like some kind of passive-aggressive questions. They're like, so uh are you the only one here right now well you know what crystal answer is supposed to be she's like no no i got some help in the back <laughs> and then she was like uh i don't even remember it's uh, another lady back there let's call her <laughs> uh let's call her barbara <laughs> this this uh, this scenario apparently was made in 1983. she's like miss barbara will you come out here and help me and so, Miss Barbara was clearly on a break. She's like, What's going on? But then she sees the health inspector. She's like, Oh, oh, yes, of course I will. <laughs> <laughs> what tarnation do you want, Chris? Oh, hello. So, I mean, they're like looking through the fridge, they're checking. And I mean, I would not classify the current state of that particular restaurant as dirty. But it's also clear they had been making some sandwiches and hadn't right. hadn't recovered quite from the sub from the the lunch sub push, to kind of get it reset back for that you know the bewitching hours there of a sub place between like three and six. There. That's when
2: the health inspector will yeah. get you, right when you least expect it.
3: So it it was. I kind of felt like I was watching, like, the Discovery Channel. Yeah. And, you know, and they've got, like, the cameras on the, on these real things in nature, like a snake's trying to attack a lizard or something. And, like, you get, you're get, you getting this little peek on things that you never really get to see. I felt like that's what was happening.
2: It's funny how I have no qualms about going into Tub Play after the grade has been rendered, and I know they didn't get 100. Right. But if I was in there when it was
3: happening – and I was see. did she have a grade book? Oh, yeah. She definitely had a, at least, at minimum, it was a notepad. And she was t- Oh, she was furiously taking notes. See, I wouldn't want to be in there then. I don't want to see the violations right before me. Maybe those were positives, though, that she was writing.
2: To. I'd probably think they were violations. Janice doesn't give a lot of positives.
3: You know they grade on a higher than a hundred is not the highest you can get. What? Yeah. It's like you can get like 110 or something. So when you see like 97 and you feel really good, it's, not quite it's actually as, minus 13. It's not quite as good as you think it should be.
2: I didn't know the health inspector got a badge.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll show it to you, <laughs> and you will respect it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last thing, at least for me. Oh, before we actually talk about the Duke game, which I guess is also important. So, we had uh, quite a, a share experience on our way to BC, Adam. So, The group of folks who were going from Carolina, we ended up needing two different cars because it's too big a group, plus Big Grits is there, to have just one car. So the first group goes, I have ordered the second car. Now, as you can attest, and as any of our Boston listeners can attest, Boston traffic is gnarly. It is tough. So, heavy volume of traffic. Well, I'm watching my car, and he's like, never moving. It's four minutes away forever. And then all of a sudden it just updates, and he sends me a text and says, I am here. Well, I did not see our gentleman. So I texted him back and said, we are at the front of whatever hotel we were in. I do not see you. Do you know what his response was, Adam? Boom. Canceled the, he canceled it. He canceled me. He, uh. he canceled me.
2: You've had a bad, bad stretch with some rideshares here yeah. at road games.
3: There was all the confusion at Miami. Yeah. Anyway, so then Big Grits says, "Ah, I'll get one. I'll get one. Don't worry about it."
2: Big Grits always thinks, no matter what has happened to you, that he
3: can make the rideshare appear like that. Yeah. So Big Grits, of course, gets like the X L triple platinum, whatever it is. <laughs> like it probably costs like four hundred dollars. <laughs> He's like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, his guy shows up relatively quickly. Now, two things about our guy, and unfortunately I do not know his name. This guy, Adam, what up? Because he is my guy for two reasons. Number one, he drives like I would drive. So he's driving, and people are doing dumb stuff all the time. And every time somebody does something dumb, it blows this guy's mind. He's like, why would this person do this? Like, it's like cutting in front of me. What in the world could make you think this was all right? And then when he would get like a sliver a day, like, we're just gunning it. I think Big Grits lost like five pounds of grits on that trip because he was in the front seat and was so nervous. But I like this guy because he got it done. But most importantly, Adam, he provided a soundtrack that was a delight. <laughs> it it was so good that I wrote it down. It's right here, Adam. I wrote it down. Be careful; it says undo typing. Oh my gosh! What no. a tragedy no, that would be. No, do not undo. Okay, <laughs> are you ready for this list? I think so. Now, this is important to know about this list. If it's like a, it's like a smorgasbord of classic ish rock okay so if you don't like that genre i mean the baby little baby not in here mm. it's more as you will hear like 80s and 90s rock and rocket did. <laughs> <laughs> all right it starts when we get in always by bon jovi
2: oh what a way to start when he holds you close, when it when it says the words you've been needing to hear, I wish I was
3: him with those words of mine to say to you till the end of time. So I'm in there with Jim Townsend. Who's the academic counselor for Carolina basketball? I don't know if that's the exact term. Dana Reynolds, who's the social media head. She probably didn't even know that song. And Big Grits and me. And so it's going, and you, I'm, you're discrediting Dana. Dana, Jen, and I are all like singing always mm. wow. in the back. Like it was so. It was just we were all in a good mood. Bon Jovi, of course, lifts you up as he always does. Yeah. And we rocked it. Always. Um, so Would I mean. I
2: love you.
3: <laughs> so, so you know this, Adam. When you're in the rideshare, you get one good song you feel good about. Right. It. Yeah. It's like you've gotten a double in the gap. Now it goes to what I will admit of this of this list. My least favorite. Got a little Goo Goo Dolls action. That's fine. The. Don't want the world to see me.
2: And
0: I don't want the world to see me. Cause I don't think that they'd understand. When everything's made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. <sighs> it's Goo <sighs> Goo
3: which again, not my favorite, but kept the mood up. Yeah, that's enough. good. That's still good. Kept the mood up enough that it didn't drop.
2: It's like when you come in off the bench for the Tarios. Just don't
3: hurt the team. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to help the team, but don't hurt the team. It did make me a little depressed that when it was going, Dana said something like, ah, this reminds me of high school. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like last year, wasn't it? Okay. From there, Adam, it was like I was at a Louisville halftime show Mm -hmm. because Journey was playing and it was Faithfully.
0: The same.
3: At this point, I started thinking something special might be happening.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so we go from Journey to Boys of Summer, mm. but not the Don Henley version, Adam. Mm. It's going to rock a little harder. Cause it's the Atari's remake Wow of Boys Don't of
0: Summer. That. Ooh,
3: that's unexpected given the previous selections. So to the point where Big Grits about three quarters of the way through it goes, who's singing this? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this imposter? Like it made it made Old Man Grits a little confused, <laughs> but it took him a while to figure it out. He was like, "Who sang this originally?" And I was like, ah, "Was it the Eagles?" I was like, "Or was it just Don Henley?" We all decided it was just Don Henley. Yep. Okay, okay. So it's been it's been good. Yeah, it's been good to like moments of greatness to this point. What comes on next, Adam, an all-timer, Dream On by Aerosmith. That's a good song. To the point where Jen was trying to tell me something. This is my hand making the talking motion. is Jen talking behind me because she was in the back in the three rows because, of course, Eric got the uh, the XL triple platinum. So <laughs> she's talking in the back. She was asking me a question, I think, but I wasn't even listening. Yeah. And she was like, uh, you're just kind of rocking. All right, because I was like... <laughs> it's like, oh. My God, Steven Tyler, I can do that too.
0: Dream-o! Dream-o!
3: <laughs> what a great song, Dream honors It really is good. And you don't,
2: it's not one you think about all the time, so sure. it kind of catches you by surprise when yeah. it comes on.
3: It's one of those where if it comes on the random, I i hadn't heard it so like, I'll play it like four times yeah. and then I'm tired of it by the fourth time, yeah. but it has satiated my appetite for it. I am like a dictionary, dude up until uh, it comes on again in, like, three months, you know? Yep. So at this point, I don't even care about the traffic. I am so into this, this set list. What comes on next, Are You Gonna Be My Girl?
1: I said, are you gonna be my girl? <laughs>
2: Which no one knows the rest of the word, words Except for that part.
3: Doesn't, Doesn't matter. matter. So, Adam, honestly, at this point, I would have been happy if we arrived at the Conti form. As I always am. But the musical gods said, no, no. We're going to close this out with two big-time finishers. What comes on first, Adam? Just a little ditty I'd like to call Summer of 69. (sighs) And my first to. <laughs> I think
2: you had your first real six straight. Yeah, not your first That old. old day 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 day. Day. Played
3: it at the five and done. Played it until my fingers day. bled. Was it summer my the summer of 69? Me and guy <laughs> from school. We had a band and we tried real hard. Jimmy Quick and Jolie got married. God
2: oh, that's on. So- Our younger daughter recently discovered that Brian Adams was a person. Yeah. Because she had some song from him. I can't remember which one on her old school jam playlist. And I said, oh, yeah, Brian Adams, he's awesome.
3: I fully believe this. I fully believe this about Summer of 69. Is Summer of 69 like kind of cheesy pop rock? No. Probably. But here's the thing. Adam... (laughs) you listen to those words to summer of 69 <laughs> it crosses all borders dude yeah like you could have the biggest buddy holly fan or the biggest The baby fan and i think they could both be down with summer of 69
2: that's exactly how i feel about taylor swift 16 what she's i know
3: that song is i think it's 17 isn't it 17 whatever team <laughs> it is
2: what she says in that song we've all been there <laughs>
3: so Adam at this point honestly like I'm on an adrenaline high because that Canadian superstar Brian Adams is rocking out. So really Adam I mean honestly this is the honest truth. There's pretty much only one song that could finish it out that would be better of Summer of 69. Only one. Adam and do you know what it is? Uh
2: let's hear it for the boy. <laughs>
3: I need a hero. (laughs) Adam, it was the circle of life, not the song. Our set began with a gentleman called John Bon Jovi, and it ended with a song by a gentleman named John Bon Jovi. Because, Adam, we're living on a prayer. 69 and living on a prayer after everything else we'd already experienced it was an all-time hot streak if i'd have stayed in that car like what what could have happened yeah like would willie nelson have come and sat in the car and like just started playing blue eyes crying in the rain would a little baby show up would the rizza come and say see you later big grits I don't know. It was anything was possible.
2: That's an incredible story. That's Dimaggio esque.
3: It really is. I don't know if it'll ever be topped.
2: Also, for those of you pounding your dashboard, Taylor Swift sang about fifteen, not (laughs) sixteen, not seventeen, but fifteen. The point still stands. The woman was the voice
3: of a generation. I'm a little worn out just talking about that.
2: Yeah, I can see how it took a
3: lot out of you. I'm surprised you can still do the game. Okay. Adam, the Tariels played Duke on Saturday. Yes. It is a big game. If the Tariels win and Virginia loses, the Tariels will be the number one seed in the ACC tournament. If the Tariels win and Virginia wins, the Tariels will tie Virginia for the ACC regular season title. But due to the head to head win by Virginia, the Heels will be the number two seed. If the Tar Heels lose, no matter what happens with Virginia, Carolina will be the three seed in the ACC tournament. So that is on the line. As we have talked about some, I think NCAA seeding and location will be impacted by this game, with the largest potential implication being a Tar Heel victory. Because I think a Tar Heel victory gets you really heavily in the conversation for a number one seed. I think by when, last time we talked about this was pre-Clemson, pre-BC. I think Carolina is safe on the two line no matter what happens from this point forward. Worst case, I think Carolina is a two. I think Carolina can get itself firmly in the number one conversation if it, is, if it isn't already there by winning this game. I still think the location is going to be way up in the air here, what they do with Virginia, Carolina, and Duke, because I think all three should be rewarded in some way by being able to play close to home. What that looks like, I don't know. But I think if you are the theory that Columbia is the best possible location for Carolina, I think winning this game just gives them another step towards doing that, although I still think they could be there without winning this game. But again... Largest implication possible, I think, is Carolina winning. That's what could potentially change the most, is my point. For the game itself, do you think Zion Williams is going to play? Duke has said they don't think he is.
2: I have no inside knowledge at all. I firmly believe he will play.
3: I certainly don't think it is as open and shut as he's not going to play like that that's Duke has said that they don't think he's going to play right is that an accurate close to what they've said I think that's what Mike Krzyzewski said on Tuesday after the week that he didn't think he would be ready to play right I think it's much closer to he could play than he's probably not going to play again that's with absolutely no knowledge outside of I just think that's what's going to happen Whether or not he plays or not, Duke is very good, and they have a lot of talented players. They are not hurting for talent one way or the other. Carolina, of course, won the first game and did it, in my opinion, by its ability to get the ball inside, get really high percentage shots, dominate the glass, and Duke did not shoot well. The Blue Devils have shot it a little bit better. Alex O'Connell has raised his percentage pretty dramatically from three since that Carolina game. He's also getting more time with uh, Williamson not playing. Um, Williamson, if he does play, would obviously give them an interior presence that wasn't there before. Not necessarily that he's a give it to him on the block kind of guy. He can do that, but that's not – but it just he's a shot blocker athletic guy. Um, so he may change that dynamic a little bit. Um, but no matter what, it's going to be an intense game, two really good teams, senior day for an important senior class. There's going to be a ton of people there, celebrity type of people. It's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere. Uh, man, it's going to be a big, big game.
2: I don't know about you, but I feel like I've had more people – talk to me about this game outside of normal life Yes. than any time at least since Tyler Hansbrough era. Yes. So I'm expecting an all-time Smith Center type atmosphere for this one. I think Carolina fans are tired of hearing about how the previous win was cheapened. It reminds me a little bit of when Duke didn't come in the snow that time, and then when they finally did come, the Smith Center was just absolutely on fire for them. It feels a little bit like that, but I think the difference is I think Duke's a little ticked off too because they're good and feel like everybody's talking them down a little bit. Oh, They can't do anything without Zion, whether he plays or doesn't. And if he does play, he's going to go show everybody, all right, Luke May, you're not getting 30 and 15 this time. So there's just all kinds of storylines. Six o'clock on a Saturday is the perfect time to have this game. You wish it wasn't spring break, but I bet students will find a way to hang around for this so it just has it's got implications as you already talked about for the league and for national it's got everything you want everything you want in this game so i am looking forward to it at the same time that i dread it with a white hot passion uh and It's going to be fun. I think Carolina is better than they were when they won at Cameron. Even just in the last couple weeks, I think Carolina's gotten better.
3: I think one matchup to watch is a matchup we thought was going to be important in the first game, and neither guy played well. And that's Trey Jones and Kobe White. Because I think they're both really good. Um, Jones is legitimately a big-time defender at that position.
2: You could consider him for your all-defensive team. Yes,
3: you could. Um, Kobe White is legitimately a big time offensive player and I don't say that to downgrade his defense because I think he's good there too but in this matchup you've got a big time scorer against a big time defender and again I don't think either guy played as well as they would have liked in the first time that they played. I'll be interested to see if they're better this time around because I think they're both really important to what their respective teams do.
2: I think it's interesting how Duke's Defensive efficiency for the whole year is really high. It may be like fifth or seventh in the country or something. But in ACC games only, they're about fifth or sixth in the league. So I think Carolina's got the chance, and this is what they did in Durham, just go get what they want. And especially, of course, if Williamson doesn't play, that needs to be centered around the rim. Uh, but if either team shoots the ball really well from the perimeter, as both teams have done from time to time, that team is probably going to win. If some team shoot if one of those two shoots something ridiculous like 60 65%, which they both have the ability to do.
3: Yeah. Everything changes. Yeah, remember Carolina was 2 of 20 from three-point range. Duke shot it 39 times from three, and neither team shot it well from three uh, when they met the first time. So Woof. We'll see. Senior night. Don't forget
2: the seniors are going to talk after the game.
3: We did get a question about whether or not that would be broadcast, and uh, I don't know if that was asking for the radio side of things or the pod side of things. Um, we will carry that as we have traditionally on the radio. Uh, win or lose, we'll have that. Uh, last year, we ran, we had the senior speeches of Joel Berry and Theo Pinson um, on the pod and We can do that again. Uh, If people like that, we can certainly do that. And so you can listen in. And then if you've already heard it or don't care, we can skip on by it. Um, But so we can can certainly do that as well. While we're talking about next week, let me set the stage for you because it's a busy week. Um, ACC tournament is next week. For the radio side of things, we will have coverage Thursday, Friday, Saturday, regardless of Carolina's participation. Of course, the Tar Heels will play on Thursday, and you hope Friday and Saturday. Uh, we'll have all four quarterfinals on Thursday, both semifinals on Friday, and the championship game on Saturday. Uh, that will affect the pod some. First show next week, I'm going to let you know who we have on and what the plan is. First show next week, we're going to have Brian Kersey, who is our annual ACC Tournament uh, Week guest, third time in the third straight year that he's been there with us. Brian is the Director of Officials for the ACC. Always appreciate his Openness, his candidness. Uh, We ask him some rules questions. We ask him some other stuff just about being a a referee, kind of about the game itself, Um, all those, how he manages things, how the officials try to get better. Um, So that conversation, we've already talked to Brian. It's great. Um, He's great, not because of anything we did, but uh, we'll have that on Tuesday along with the senior speeches. Then we will have a show on Friday. But Adam and I will not have any, like, updated ACC tournament thoughts. Uh, We won't. Carolina will have played an ACC tournament game at that point. Um, So you'll know what happened. We won't um, because we're going to do it a little earlier in the week and just have it ready for you on Friday. That show is going to have the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference, John Swafford. We had a chance uh, already to speak to him. So we'll have that conversation. And we'll have our Top Gun Roadhouse Challenge as well. So, Tuesday, all our normal shenanigans Brian Kersey, senior speeches, Duke recap, ACC tournament preview. Friday, it will not be as fresh with the content as far as like up to date on what the Tariels have done, but we will have the John Swafford interview and the Roadhouse Challenge. Adam, that's a big time week.
2: Next week has traditionally only been a one pod week. We're, We're doubling up, breaking the mold. Yep double pod.
3: Whoever's got to put those together has got some work to do. That is true in addition to whatever
2: else they might have going on.
3: <laughs> so uh, we look forward to that. Um, I think it's going to be a fun week pod-wise and obviously a lot going on basketball-wise. Uh, so we'll have a ton to talk about. So that will be fun. We will let Billy D. Greenwood
4: hmm.
3: and Brian. I forgot he was on here. <laughs> yeah. That's how long it's been. Yeah, We'll let Billy D. Greenwood, Brian Bursticker, And the RZA, future podcast, get us out of here on the latest edition of the Carolina Insider.
1: I'm Billy D. Greenwood. See you later, big grits. I'm Brian Burstaker. See you later, big grits. Box of sugar in a stick of margin. A hot pot of grits kept my family from starving. Steamy hot meal served less than five minutes. Big scoop of pot, boiling water, salt in it. House full of brothers and sisters, the pot's missing. Pilkum on a box on the stove in the kitchen. When
0: I was small, we
2: had nothing at all.
3: The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Tar Heel Sports Network.
0: Some people just know there's
1: a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate.